Welcome to Reputation Town. Uh, well, let's save it. It's we'll save dark it. We'll save it for the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode five of the Reputation Town podcast. I'm Warren Weeks. I'm here with my good friend and uh, longtime collaborator, John Paranak. John, how you doing? Good, Warren. How are you? Excellent. Thanks. Um, we're waiting. We're recording this right now on Friday afternoon, April 16th. And currently waiting, as everyone knows, we like to start off by <laughs> bashing our political leaders, just yeah, kind of tongue in cheek. But with the situation going on with the pandemic and just Ontario seems to be one of the worst spots, certainly in North America, maybe in the world right now. And we're waiting for the government to come out with some new announcements about, you know, they're talking about potentially curfews and six week um, stay at home orders and things like that. So by the time people hear this, that will be kind of old news, but it's kind of new to us. So it might pop up while we're, while we're chatting here. And you know, and the thing that, that drives me nuts about this is, you know, we, I know we talked about this before and I'm going to totally sound like grandpa Simpson, you know, get off my lawn, but <laughs> you, you keep seeing so many groups of kids, especially wandering around in giant groups, no masks. And at what level does personal responsibility come into this? It's like, yeah, you can do all these, you could look at the government and say, why isn't government doing enough? But at the end of the day, if people aren't doing their individual parts, how can, the, how can you ever be successful in controlling this? But mm. maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm uh, thinking of a lost cause there. I like the Grandpa Simpson reference. I, I agree in a way, but something that I've been thinking about a lot, and we've chatted about this, I think, different times, is... Um, why is it that those kids are getting together and why is it that there are so many cars in the parking lots and, and on the roads and certainly people who are wandering around as if this is, you know, quote unquote fake news. And is it, you know, you talked about last week, I think it was that phenomenon where people rallied together at the beginning, you know, we can do it and sense of community. And at a certain point you get fatigued or whatever. And they're just like, ah, screw it. So there's a little bit of that, but, and maybe this is me being, you know, the communications hammer, seeing everything as a nail, but part of me thinks this has to be the inconsistent, terrible communications from the, and, and pick your person, the, you know, the, the operationally, that's one thing, but the communications has been so inconsistent and terrible. And even with the, you know, the vaccination rollout here, uh, there, uh, I don't know if you saw the thing on the the tweet about it was a little meme, you know, did you see the, the last dance with Dennis Rodman, uh, the, the whole Michael Jordan, oh, yeah, thing? Yeah, you yeah, see yeah, the Dennis yeah, Rodman yeah. thing. He's like, you know, click over here, yeah. go over there. And that's, that's what they said. The vaccination program is like in Ontario that the Dennis Rodman thing. So I actually like burst out laughing when I saw that, <laughs> but um, communications to me, like clear, consistent. And you're seeing this with, uh, you know, we chatted about the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine and the, the PR issues that they're having with a, uh, you know, for, for what everyone knows, you know, in a, a completely safe vaccine with some very rare side effects. And now people are treating it like it's like it's poison. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not about the science. It's about the communications. So I think all this stuff is jumbled up together. I think people are fed up. People are depressed. People are, um, you know, the, the amount of personal suffering going on is is ridiculous from a business perspective. Oh, I think that's my stupid dog barking downstairs. <laughs> That's okay. Continue. Well, you know, just, just to back up a second. Um, this is where, in fact, I think communications and maybe, you know, maybe this is like, Oh yeah, the communications guys telling me how important communications is. But I think this is where, in fact, when you talk about vaccines and you talk about how the communications around vaccines has been run, it, it's at what level does um, the, the known impact of, the people's perceptions of safety and trust about a vaccine intersect with what's important when it comes to the science of some of these things. And what I mean by that is, so you saw two cases, both in AstraZeneca and now in Johnson and Johnson, very rare side effects. And the reaction by um, 
government and some public health has been, oh, let's pause things because we've, we've got to be careful. But in reality, mm-hmm. the pause is that could be worse than what they're trying to prevent oh, in sure. this case because they could be causing how many people not to even trust these vaccines at all or just sure. giving cause to some of the anti-vaxxers out there who are you know, looking for every little scrap of information to to raise doubt about these things. I, I, to me, this it's it's more than just a um, uh, little, little curiosity along the sides of this. Like this is about public health. If you don't have trust, if you don't have the ability to um, uh, build that trust and avoid taking any steps to to uh, really destroy it, which is in this case, I think what happened then you got a huge, huge public health problem on your hands. So it's not just about the mm-hmm. science. And some people were, and I don't know what if there's any truth to this, but some people were speculating because it's the only nonprofit organization or nonprofit vaccine that some of the other companies or maybe some other countries were trying to uh, kind of smear it just so that they didn't mm. kind of cut into their profits too much. So who knows? Everyone's a you never know. conspiracy theorist. You never know. Is this, have we started off topic banter or is this just our, 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 uh, our COVID rant transitioning <laughs> to the, the topic banter? Okay. So, <laughs> well, you know, have what? Our little bo- it's not often, not every day, I guess maybe this year is an exception, but uh, it's not every day that, that, a communications issue becomes life or death, but in this case it is. And so, you know what? It's, it just, it kind of pisses me off. Well put, well put. So I was going to put a little jingle together for off, off topic banter and I just, you know, I didn't have enough time and I don't feel like, like singing it. So I got a little <laughs> robot guy to put something together. You ready? Go for it. Off topic banter. That's good. That's, yeah. that's uh, right up to the budget we have for that kind of, <laughs> so perfect. <laughs> Yes, we'll try something with a little more pizzazz next time. Okay, <laughs> anything in the past week that uh, struck struck you as odd, tickled your fancy that you want to chat about before we jump into the the communication stuff? You know what? I, the thing that's had, the thing that has had me interested over the past week, um, uh, off to, off the topic of our of reputations, is the the little Mars helicopter Ingenuity. And uh, last weekend, they were supposed to do a test flight of it. Uh, they had to do a, a software upgrade on the thing, so the test flight will come soon. But the fact that we're at this point in our lives when we're talking about um, the fact that we flew a flying machine to another planet, <laughs> we're going to be test flying it there, is is just pretty amazing. And you know, maybe maybe we're jaded because now we have computers in our pockets and we talk to devices in the house and the lights go on and off. Um, but um, we're, we're, it's amazing though. We're, we're, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Like it's completely mind boggling that we could send this craft to a different planet and have another craft on that craft and, and like everything lands perfectly and scientifically. And, and then this is the same planet that can't get this <laughs> vaccination rollout figured out. Like, <laughs> that's a good point. Like, how is this the same species? Uh, you know what? <sighs> Maybe we should get the NASA people on. Maybe. This. Not a bad idea. Uh, um, so, so what about you? What, 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 you, what have you been focused on? Well, no, I saw some of the footage from the, from that helicopter. That was that was fantastic. Um, question, science question: How do you fly a helicopter if there's no air? Well, this air is it's very thin. So they they designed uh, the um, the rotors to operate that that thinner atmosphere. Okay, uh, I have a couple things. One, have you, did you see the the monkeys playing or the monkey? I guess playing pong with his mind. Oh, Neuralink. Neuralink. Yes. Oh my God. That is so cool. Would you, would you sign up to get a, a microchip implanted to control things like your phone with your, with your mind? I think I'd wait for like version three or four. <laughs> just to yeah, see. I probably wouldn't be first. Like, I don't want to be, but I think I would do it. I think it would be kind of cool. First wave. Probably not. Yeah. You want like, you see how it goes, see how it rolls yeah. out, you know, like just in case. Yeah. And then there's going to be upgrades and the, the next version, like iPhones. And so I don't want to have the old one stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> but if anybody hasn't seen this, I it, it's it, it's, sci- it's science fiction. They have this chimp, uh, monkey chimp, whatever. Like it's like a it's like a monkey, and he's playing. He's got this TV in front of him, and everyone re- remembers. Well, not everyone. Our vintage anyway remembers the old original video game Pong, and you had these two paddles, and there's a line in the middle, and this little 
rectangle that's supposed to be a tennis ball goes back and forth and you move the the controller to you know, you want to make sure you hit it and knock it over to the other side anyway so they have this monkey doing this with his um and he's got the Neuralink thing implanted into his brain and apparently it's like 2000 little kind of uh probes or electrodes or whatever picking up all this information and so and they're feeding him this every time he does it properly they're giving him this little banana smoothie through a straw it's kind of cute the way he was like slurping away on it and so what they're doing, every time he does a maneuver, they're tracking all this information and seeing how he's doing it and what is he doing and what are his muscles doing and what is, what, what, what's his brain doing. And then eventually they got to the point where they have so much data that they unplug the joystick and the monkey is still, he doesn't know it's unplugged. He thinks he's still doing the same thing, but he is controlling the joystick, but it's not attached to anything. And then the next step is they take the joystick away completely and he's playing just with his brain. And that's cool enough on its own. But they were talking about the the practical applications of this down the road. And the one that really, you know, he said people who are paralyzed, for example, will be able to surf the Internet more quickly with their brain on their phones or computers than we can with our thumbs today, which is kind of cool. And that they're looking to cure paralysis or to kind of work around it. So you would have the piece in the brain and you'd put the other connection on the end of the spinal cord and it would basically connect it again, which is complete science fiction Mm -hmm. and so, so cool. So that was the thing in the news that kind of just really blew me away this past week. Cool. I, that I, I look forward to our monkey overlords and their neural link. (laughs) There's movies about this. Those damn dirty apes. (laughs) And uh, the have you seen the show The Defiant Ones on Netflix? No, I haven't. What's it about? So cool. So it's it's a couple of years old. So I'm, I missed this the first time it came around. But it's uh, really cool. It's like a four part. Um, I don't know if it's a series. It's like a long movie cut up into four different pieces. But it's basically a study of kind of Dr. Dre and that Jimmy Iovine guy. Do you know who he is? Like the big record. Producer. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just showing their collaboration and sort of behind the scenes of all the artists that he's touched. And they interviewed like, you know, it's Bruce Springsteen and Lady Gaga and Eminem and Tom Petty and just unbelievable. It just, it was really cool. And the way that it was put together is, uh, it's kind of like a documentary, I suppose, but it was one of the coolest ones I've seen in a while. So if anyone's at the bottom of Netflix and you're looking for something to watch and you even moderately like music, it's a really cool, cool uh, story. So recommend that. By the way, apparently that's the, when you mentioned it's like a movie, a long movie cut up, apparently that's actually the model of, of how they look at content in Hollywood these days is that people, people pitch story ideas and in the old days, you used to say, okay, well, that's too much. We'll have to trim that down so it fits into two hours so it's a movie. Uh, now they're like, no, 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 uh, film those six hours and then we'll chop it into three bits and you've got, uh, or six bits and you've got six episodes yeah. and there's a season. Yeah. Um, on that note, I heard this week that apparently, did you see the latest Quentin Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? No, I haven't seen it. Uh, anyway, they say, and it's a pretty long movie. His All his movies are fairly long, but... I heard that he has a 20 hour cut of that movie. <laughs> and so that would seem to be the perfect way. And you chop that up into like four or five chunks and then just slap it on Netflix. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. We're gonna have to change the topic of our show to entertainment. If we keep going down this road. <laughs> okay. So uh, do you have anything else in the off topic banter band or do you want to jump in? Uh, no, let's jump into things. Okay. So um, from a communication standpoint, media relations, reputation management, what, where would you like to cast your gaze this week? I think we should go to what you were, you, we and I were texting about and long-term care, because I think it's actually an interesting time to look at that because, you know, long-term care was the house on fire um, in the early part of the pandemic when there was no vaccine for, for those vulnerable populations. Now they're pretty much all vaccinated with some exceptions. And I think it's a good, good opportunity to turn, turn our attention to them. Right. And this is, you know, it is an interesting time to look at it. And this has been something that I'm sure you and I have both been dealing with um, various organizations or homes over the course of the past year, helping people to kind of, kind of deal with things. 
And, you know, while trying to, you know, protect the confidentiality of all those discussions, I think we can talk about things at a kind of a macro level in terms of what's been going on and just what we've been seeing in the news. Mm -hmm. Overall, if you had, and, you know, there's there's for-profit and not-for-profit, and, you know, we don't have to get into all of that, but if you had to look at the, and, you know, I don't know the rest of the country very well, but I don't suspect it's too different, but I'm just basing this on um, on what I've seen in Ontario. How would you grade the quality of issues management, crisis management, communications among the leaders of those homes over the past 13 months or so? Oh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's a failing grade for sure. Um, I don't want to, why do you think that I'm sure, I'm sure there's been some good, some good ones. Um, But I think it, I think, frankly, I think there's never, I don't know if there's ever been I'm trying to rack my brain right now, but I'm not, I don't think there's ever been a crisis of this magnitude hit, hitting the entire industry at once with such intensity and things like communications, you know, more stri- strategic communications or issues management were not things they really had to think about because they were more focused on delivering service to, to residents there and, and maybe more consumer focused communications to, to families and things. I, I just don't think it was at all in their skill set for the, for the most part. Uh, what would you say? I, I'm, I'm going to try to be not, not too uh, ranty here. We, we've been getting some tweets online about the rantiness of uh, I think specifically me, but I, at, you know, on one hand, I'm, I'm bewildered and, and disappointed with the, the level of communications. I did a, uh, I did a presentation online recently to that industry and they asked me to go and, and take apart some actual examples from the media. So I tried to pick things from other provinces and other countries and stuff just so that I wasn't, you know, pointing a finger at anybody who was on the call. Cause that's a little, a little awkward, but the, uh, <clears throat> the number of negative responses was, like there's just take your pick. It's endless page after page after page after page of very similar responses. And the, I found a couple good ones. I found two. I found, and you know, maybe there are more, but I found two that were really great stories. And what's interesting to me, and hopefully anyone who is in a leadership function or, you know, communications function, no matter what industry you're in, I think, I think the themes are consistent in terms of like, what, what are these companies getting wrong or these organs these homes or whatever, what are they getting wrong when they, when they get it wrong? Because it's really like the same three or four missteps. And I think a lot of it has to do with mindset because a lot of them have this. And I've talked to these people, you know, I, I, I gave out my, my, my phone number and my email address last year. And I said, if you're having issues, call me up you know, just chat free, like pro bono. I'll have a quick chat because I'm trying to help or whatever. And having some difficult conversations with people who are saying, you know, the media's calling us, what do we do? And here's the, and they're talking about what is happening in the home. And it's, 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 it's terrifying and heartbreaking. But the, if you look at the coverage, the, the recipe is usually like this. There's some sort of operational issue. They're having an outbreak, something brings the public's attention and the media's attention to them. So they're in, they're in crisis mode trying to fix the thing. And then you layer on top of that, the media response. So they're getting calls from the radio station, the TV station, um, newspaper, bloggers, whatever. And then they, that breaker switch kind of flips in their brain and they kind of, they, it's overwhelming. And so what you see a lot of is, so-and-so did not respond to requests for comment. Um, you know, they did not return numerous uh, requests for information. There was another one that I saw where, or actually there's a few of these where the home kicked it up to the management company that owns the home. And so even that is a, a sort of dismissiveness or a defensiveness. Like we're not going to deal with this, even though it's our issue, we're the front line, we're going to kick it up to the company that owns us. And then the company that owns them would send a note. Um, I've got an actual example here. I could dig it up if I need to. But the company sent a five-word note to the journalist. What's your story about? <laughs> that was the whole note. Like, not even with a capital W. Just like, what, I can just imagine this guy on his back, on his couch, like, you know, thumbing away on his iPhone. What's your story about? And 
the journalist responded with all of these allegations or all these facts and they never heard back. <laughs> so <laughs> they got ghosted from two different levels and it just, it makes, it makes the home look terrible. And so I don't, you can't, you know, as the public, you cannot tell the difference between a bad management team, like a, like a team of people who doesn't know what they're doing and a great management team with bad media relations skills, mm. because if they don't have the skills, you don't know. So you're just going to assume that they're, they're bad. So these might be very nice people, empathetic people, smart people doing all the right things. But because we make our snap judgments and decisions based on that coverage that we see, and the coverage sucks because they didn't respond and they seem kind of defensive and weaselly. I saw lots and lots and lots of that. Um, I don't know if you've had similar experiences with that. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of it too is that a lot of management teams are just on, on they're not used to dealing with media because they don't really get media attention. They um, they're they're unsure of of uh, just how to how to deal with this. It's it's all new territory for them. At the same time, they're trying to manage you know uh, staff shortages. And in, th- in those situations where you're just scrambling and you're trying to ma- you're trying to manage, I can see how communications. Um, maybe is is uh, is falls short, but you know what? Um, I think this is where you you want a robust management team that has those skills, so that you know you're in a crisis, but you also have to be thinking about how, well, what do we do when we get past it, and how do we manage ourselves past it, and mm-hmm. dealing with it well in the moment is is I think a key step in in getting past it. Did you see the place where they took the doorknobs off the inside of the doors so the seniors couldn't get out? I did remember remember that story, which is like <clears throat> it's just ridiculous, like, horrible story. Yeah. And it, it was I think it was national news, and so that was one of the examples that. And so you know I am like okay, so let's start googling, let's look at the coverage, see because there's the operational thing. There was a horrible decision that was made in a crisis situation. And then there's the the response. And so in that situation, what was the name of the home? It was, uh, hang on, I've got it here. It was White Cliff Terrace Retirement Residence. And so the the company that runs it, uh, Diversity Care Canada, they immediately fired the manager, restored the doorknobs, and they actually put out a statement to the media that wasn't terrible. It's like a written statement. And the statement was, there's absolutely no excuse to remove door handles ever. We never lock in or prevent the free movement of our residents. And that's from the president, a guy named David Bird. And I'm like, you know, it's at least the, they responded. You know, the other ones ghosted the media altogether. In this, in this situation, I think it's pretty tough. Um, the firing of the manager was obviously the right move. You know, they, that like, and it helps to separate the individual from the facility by making a head roll from an operational standpoint. They said, that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. The statement sounds great, except the wording of it is we never lock in or prevent the free movement of our residents except yesterday, <laughs> you know, when we did. <laughs> and so it, and not, not to, not to laugh, but like, those are the things you have to look at the wording of that because it's obvious it's, it takes away some of the credibility. Like to say, we never do it when you just did it kind of, and we're playing Monday morning quarterback all, all the way here. Mm -hmm. Right. So terrible operational misstep, a decent operational response and very swift and, and a, and a passable um, message from the CEO to the media. But you look at the, you know, not that Google reviews are, you know, all, all encompassing, but there's a lot of one star reviews on there. And in the last couple of months with people sharing their stories, um, you know, how I think that could have been better, uh, obviously operational safeguards to prevent that kind of thing from happening. I would even suggest an on camera interview with the CEO. It's a, it's obviously more difficult and he's going to be, you know, he or she is going to be sweating a lot more. It's a lot more difficult to actually do that. But I think there's the illusion of safety when you write a statement and have someone send it out by email and you don't get any questions back. And so in a situation like that, particularly, I would be pushing people. Now, of course, you need to make sure that the person knows what they're getting into and they've been properly trained, but that's what I would be trying to go for. And the two things that were missing, unless I missed that coverage, but I looked at it quite a few stories, no expression of empathy for the people in the rooms or their families and no apology. And so a lot of these organizations, and that's one of the other trends. One trend is we're just blowing you off altogether. Another trend is we we address it, but we kind of blame somebody else 
or we address it and we kind of ignore the elephant in the room. And the things that were missing from most of them were empathy and an apology. And this is not just in this industry. You, I think you'll agree. We've seen this across industries where executives have this Achilles heel where many of them are, are just so reluctant to admit any sort of wrongdoing because they've been told so by their lawyers. And that gets into the whole thing of the court of law versus the court of public opinion because they're not mutually exclusive things. No, exactly. And, and um, you know, and you, you and I have talked about this before, but people, when, the, when there are missteps, people, um, they, they, they recognize most of the time, I think, that they need to take that moment to, to pivot and, and through an apology, put yourself on a track to, to recovery but they're just so hesitant to actually apologize. There's always the if in their statement or, you know, the but or, you know, some qualifier and it just undercuts the whole thing. And it doesn't actually, doesn't actually do it. You'd be better off not apologizing at all. But, you know, just, just to rewind a minute. Um, so I, I'm looking at those situations and I think to myself, okay, so what can be done better? I agree with you that um, putting a human face on the things you say by putting someone in front of a camera or on the phone uh, with a journalist can be really helpful, can really, really humanize it. Not a lot of places are willing to take the risk though. They feel like, Oh boy, I'm not used to doing interviews and I don't want to put myself out there, but this is where having a making communications part of your culture so that you are communicating regularly as part of the course of normal course of business. And I don't mean just, you know, sending, Sending a, like a robo call to um, to to uh, family members of residents, actually doing you know more robust communication where you're reaching out to people and you have actually a two way dialogue through through different means with the different audiences that you serve. Sure, residents are themselves are one, and the families of those residents are another. But you know the broader community that you're in and. And being open and, and really setting up your, yourself for a pattern of uh, building your reputation through an active communications program. Because if, if you did that and then this kind of crisis hit, you know, the difference between someone who's terrified of doing an interview and someone who's used to doing them because they've been active um, is, is like night and day. Like you, you've media trained more people than I have by a many margin, uh, by a larger margin, uh, Warren. And, you know, what's, what's the difference between someone who has casually done an interview occasionally over time versus someone who's stone cold going into it? Right. It's a huge difference. As, as you know, um, the, there's, there's a, well, I guess it depends how they've done it, right? There's a level of, of skill and understanding. And, you know, we could both talk about this for, for seven hours straight, but understanding what an interview is, how it works, mm -hmm. the fact that it's not just a conversation, you're not just freewheeling and kind of improvising as you go. And at the same time, you don't want to sound like a politician. So it's, you know, I, I had a, a question, you know, you do Q and A's after these things and someone typed into the chat, what do you do when your CEO isn't the, the right person to talk to the media in a time of crisis? And, and I was kind of joking. I said, well, what, do they not have a head? Do they not have a voice box? Like, why are they not the right person? And the, obviously the, the reason is like they've seen the person in action and they weren't very good. And so this is a teachable skill. Like no one is born good at this. And so that to me would be something that you just have to hammer home. And, you know, the frustration to me in the, in, in years past is, you know, I have put together um, all different kinds of ways to package this information for this industry. And again, nice people, busy people, empathetic people. And this is an industry that has, let's get it. Let's just be serious. They've been in crisis before COVID came along given just, you know, the funding in that sector and the, 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 the crush of people and the ratio of residents to staff members. So it was, it was difficult before and it became much, much more difficult um, recently, but it's the leadership as a whole, there are some exceptions, but I would say that most individuals when presented with the opportunity to elevate their communications or media relations skills, didn't really, yeah, yeah we're not really, we're not really interested in that. So that tells me either they think that they can just do it. You know, everybody thinks they're a marketer. You know, everyone thinks they're a great singer. Everyone thinks they can dance. Well, I, I certainly don't, <laughs> but 
Um, and, and everybody, you know, so maybe it's that, maybe we think we're already pretty good at that and we don't need it. And obviously we're seeing the, the results of that in the media. It's not very good. We're seeing all these not responding, terrible response, blaming someone else, um, lack of empathy, lack of apology, lack of accountability. And so to me, it's kind of like you can lead a horse to water, right? Like this information is out there at the very least, I would say, look, do a full day media training session, do it every couple of years, do refreshers at the very least. Hey, Alexa, how do I do a media interview and get like whatever that little box tells you that's going to be better than going in cold. And so, um, I had this line that I used to use when I would do talks about crisis management that, uh, the second most common way for organizations to plan for a crisis is to put a plan in place and to media train their spokespeople and to do simulations every year or every two years. That's the second most common way. The first most common way is hope. You just hope that it doesn't happen to you. And most years, it you're right. It's not going to be you. And of, of any group of a thousand companies, maybe... 10 of them would deal with a crisis over the course of a two-year span. And now you have a situation where every single person in that room is dealing with a crisis at the exact same time. And uh, it's almost too late at that point. Like, I guess it's never too late, but it's almost too late. When you're, when you're up to your eyeballs in the operations, it's too late to me to layer on those skills in a, in a, in a practical and valuable way because your mind is just going to be racing. So, if they had a time machine, I would say go back three years ago and do it. But you know, this, this certainly won't be the last crisis that this sector has to deal with. It may not even be the last pandemic that we have to deal with. Right. So, um, and I know that we're obviously biased where, you know, we love communications, but that would be the thing. If I could just get it through the heads of all these executives around these boardroom tables, that this has such, it's, it's not a soft skill. It has a huge impact on, your organization, your reputation, your bottom line. And that would be the thing that I would say you have to skill up in that area. And, you know, I, I think it goes beyond the crisis too, the crisis part too, because, you know, there, there are a lot of forward thinking organizations that, that can plan ahead and look at the, look at their risk across the spectrum of uh, risk management areas that are typically looked at environmental, social, governmental, and those sorts of things. But, um, the, the communications programs actually also help just build relationships with stakeholders and, and over time, the, 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 you can't do that. Um, it, it just as the same as you can't learn to, to be a great uh, media interviewer in the midst of a crisis, you can't build a good relationship with a stakeholder overnight either. And you do it slowly over time. And if you make communications and engagement part of your ongoing uh, business and tie it to your business goals, like don't just do it randomly uh, so that it's not really connected to the purpose of the organization, but connected to your business goals, make it part of your, you know, quarterly performance targets that you're going to, you know, have a certain level of engagement, certain type of communication. It'll pay dividends toward um, whatever those goals are for the organization, whether they be financial or otherwise. And then you're going to be putting putting money in that reputational bank so that, you know, should you do get into a crisis situation, you can draw down on that. And, any, and on top of that, you will be prepared to deal with it. Hmm. So have you seen, can you think of any positive examples from that industry over the past year? Anything that jumps out in terms of, you know, a well-handled situation or a great interview or some good messaging or even something on social media does anything jump out at you or well not you know really? the interesting thing is, is that that the ones that are, are the poor ones the poor examples stand out because we see them on the news and you know we've either maybe been exposed to them directly through the work we've been doing uh so they're they're they stand out but you know what um on, on balance uh again agnostic of privately run versus publicly run there are places out there that know how to do it well and do have a good relationship. And there uh, are many in both camps that um, actually, you know, there's lots of homes. If you look at the list, the province publishes it. If you look at the list of long-term care facilities, um, there are a lot that had very few cases of COVID, if any. And, and, you know, they were good managers and they were good at, uh, at dealing with it. The problem is, is that there were too many, uh, too many um, outliers of where things just went completely off the rails. And, um, 
and you, and it, unfortunately it led to catastrophic results because you had you had hundreds of people die in the province overall um in that sector it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this right like there's a there's a provincial review of the long-term care ongoing and it's it's not an easy um you know it's not an easy thing to solve for because the population is getting older there needs to be more long-term care in in the province uh, the government look you know provincial and local governments don't have the cash to build the level of um, long-term care that's needed to, to meet that aging population demand. So the private sector steps in and um, uh, I think it's, it, this, this is going to be a, this is going to be something with us for a while as we, as we unpack it, uh, but hopefully there'll be lessons learned from this that can be applied in the future. And, um, and, you know, at the end of the day, when you talk about reputation, this is just me, my opinion, but if you, when I think about reputation in the long-term care sector, it's not so much about, um, you know, are they operators of these homes? Or do they have glowing reputations? And isn't that great if they do? And, and what a shame if they don't. I really think the behaviors that you have to exhibit to have a good reputation in the sector actually are a byproduct of you being a good manager or an operator and taking care of the people that are um, that that you're responsible for, and being humane and and doing all the right things, um, because if you're doing those things, you're probably doing a pretty good job um, in other areas of your business, which may include communications, um, and um, and 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 that's why I think it's important at the end of the day. But um, you know, this we're here to talk about reputations and stuff so it's, it's one of those situations where rep- reputation kind of intersects with bigger bigger issues for sure it's a interesting point you bring up and so it's kind of like chicken the you know what came first the chicken or the egg and so do you do you think it's too simplistic or general generalizing to say that the best managers are also just by coincidence or some sort of correlation the best communicators as well as like is it is it can we connect those dots easy enough that um, the, the homes that were like, let's just say for the sake of this, the homes that have very few or zero cases or no major outbreaks are also better communicators. And that the ones who had the crazy outbreaks and didn't respond to anybody are, are bad communicators. Can you, can you make that distinction? Do you think? I don't know if there's a causality or just a correlation, but put it this way. The ones who had good, good management of, of the pandemic weren't the ones who were calling us at the crisis communications firm. There's one that I'd, I'd like to, well, there's two that I'd like to highlight from a positive standpoint. And um, one of them, I actually know, I know the individual who ended up doing the interviews, but I know him from a different industry. So the first one was, um, and I forget the name of the home. I think it was called the Marion home, but there was this, this home in Ontario that had no cases at all, like not one case of COVID the whole time. And, you can look it up online, but this, uh, the, the guy running it was, they were hailing him as a hero and he, what they, they talked about all these different things in the story that he was stockpiling PPE weeks before anybody else was. Um, he made, uh, an operational decision that the people who worked there, the nurses and the, the, uh, PSWs or whatever, that they would only be working in one facility because that was one of the reasons for the spread is that, these individuals are often in low paying part-time jobs and they have to work in two or three facilities to, to make a living. And so they would take the virus from one place to the next Mm -hmm. place. And so they cut that out immediately. And um, they had their, their workers working in operational pods. So they, the workers weren't kind of cross contaminating one another, but they're very careful about who was coming in. And so the, 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 the man running this place, they end up doing an interview with him um, in, in person, but, and he's got full, like, he looks like breaking bad. He's got like the full face mask and the plastic shield over it. And he's got full PPE for his interview. And I thought even that was just, um, demonstrating how seriously they take this stuff. And the other thing that really stood out to me from that story was from the beginning, they were constantly communicating with their residents, the families and the staff and all throughout. And so it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that you saw this organization making great operational moves all throughout and 
proactive and preemptive. And you also saw them ticking all the boxes from a communication standpoint. The fact that that is an outlier as opposed to the norm, I think is, is the, the lost opportunity here because, you know, in 2021, as you mentioned earlier, we're sending helicopters to Mars. This seems a lot simpler than that. And so that was one of the great examples. The other one, do you remember around Christmas time, there was an outbreak at a home in Hamilton, the Shalom village. Do you remember that at all? No, I don't remember that one. Okay. Well that actually, that's, that's good. I think one of the reasons you don't remember it is I think, I think it was handled well in the media. Now I have to, I have to be completely transparent here that I media trained this individual, but I didn't do it in this capacity. I media trained him when he was with another association several years ago. And we went through three annual sessions, three years in a row, and he was in a completely different profession. And he ended up being the interim um, the interim head of this facility in Hamilton. So they had an outbreak in, like they had done really, really, really well. Suddenly had an outbreak in December and it said, uh, uh, I'm trying to look at the numbers. Nine residents had died. And I think, you know, a many, many, like many dozens of them had become sick. And he ends up actually doing an interview with, I think this was with Global News. And he said, you know, during a town hall on Monday, the home's interim CEO said nine residents have died. And here's his quote, we're so sorry to have to say that, which is the closest thing to an apology that we've seen in any of the discussions we've had today. And he went on to describe, um, you know, they went on for several months and without a positive test. And then it ran through. They talked about, um, he, he expressed empathy for the staff members, how difficult it is for them to be, again, we're just, a lot of places just treat these people like robots that you know, there's just these these cogs that you kind of put into the machine and he was saying it's difficult. They're trying to get them time off and blah, blah, blah. And so you can't necessarily control the thing that happens. Um, you know, you can do your best, but you can still have an outbreak situation. You can have a situation where people pass away at that point though. You do have a choice. How are we going to handle it? And this goes beyond long-term care. This goes to every organization when the thing takes place. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? And that's the thing that people are going to remember. I think that's the thing they're going to remember five and 10 years from now. It's not necessarily the thing, the incident or the circumstances of it. It's going to be the feeling that they have when they see your logo, when they hear your name. And, and to me, it's the response that dictates that. And so I just wanted to highlight those two. The fact that they were so difficult to find is kind of depressing, frankly. Uh, you know, I, just one thing I just, uh, just add to what you're saying. The other reason why I think somebody like, the, the person you're talking about is um, really putting their organization in a great position is, you know, th- those, those organizations that don't respond to media and, you know, you get the story, like you said, off the top that just says, you know, so-and-so didn't respond to an inquiry. Well, those kinds of stories are persistent forever on the internet, if not forever, for a very long time, for for years and years and years. Right. And as you think about, you know, in this business, people looking for the place where they're going to entrust putting their parent uh, or some other loved one, you know, th- that kind of research, um, it, people I'm sure do all the time online as a, as a first place to go. And you're leaving this, this trail of breadcrumbs out there by not responding. And basically you're giving up an opportunity to, even in a bad situation, just provide some sort of context from your perspective of what's going on or what your position was. You're, you're foregoing that entirely, leaving a vacuum and making it look like you don't really care. And, and you are um, just really setting yourself up for failure in the future. Uh, and that's not easy to fix. Like you're not going to be able to take those things off because they're going to be up and there's, there's no way to add to it. There's no way to change it. There's no way to take it away. Well, it's very searchable. And I have to say, as I'm looking through these things, like, you know, my dad is like up and around, he's doing his thing. He plays hockey still, or yeah, I guess before the lockdown he did. But then I'm thinking, but I, you know, I'm looking through these ones and based on the way they handled the media coverage, I'm like, I would never put him in Mm -hmm. this home. I would totally put him in this home. And it made me come up with an idea. I don't know, like this is, I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head here. This could be a terrible idea, (laughs) but I thought instead of this, 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 uh, the structure that seems to be broken in so many ways. You talk about dehydration and, you know, malnourishment and stuff like that. And just the, the lack of staff. I thought, what if I could get like a, a situation where I got my dad and three of his buddies around the same age and they decide, you know, again, if they wanted to, if you want to live on your own, like, Hey, good for you. 
But if you get to a point where you're so you should be in a home or you need a little bit of help, what if you got three or four buddies together, you got a house and then you all chipped in for a, a nurse and you just, it's kind of like, like college. <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's like you're, you're going, it's like Benjamin button. You're going back to college. You have this nurse on hand. It's probably not going to be as fun a place. <laughs> and, uh, but that to me would seem to be like, I don't, I don't know if you could like, um, you know, scale that and make it some kind of cool business model. But like, that would seem to be a much more, like I wouldn't mind doing something like that when I'm that age, many, 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 many years from now. I, I think that's the kind of innovative, uh, innovative approach that a lot more people might think of as, as the, as the demand grows and, and, you know, pe- people, people get older who are in that, um, that wave just ahead of us. Look at us, a couple of communications nerds coming up with long-term care plans. There's probably so many people going, that's stupid. Here are the 94 reasons. <laughs> that's not going to work. a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh man. So anything else on that one? Like I just, and I, I, I hesitate to sound uh, like luxury that I, I, I hate coming across like that, but this is not, this was, this should not have been a surprise. There are there, you know, there are organizations who have this kind of, and it's not just media training. It's, it's crisis management. It's issues management. It's it's accountability. It's like the decision you the decision number one that you when when the when the thing happens, leadership decision number one dictates step number two and step and you can't go back mm-hmm. right. It's so telling the truth right out of the gate and just being transparent and helpful and like you know someone asked me the other day after one of these talks they said you know what do you do when the journalist is like. Uh, is biased and is out to get you. And, you know, I said like, I I wanted, what I wanted to say is, okay, let's go on a separate talk and we're going to talk for three hours because those situations to me are always there. There is some sort of baggage with the media. And I said, okay, let's look at this from the reporter's point of view. Let's say something happens at your, at your, your organization. And it's something that it warrants a media call. So the media calls you up, they want to do an interview, and now you're being defensive because you think they're out to get you. So you're being defensive and evasive, and maybe you don't return their call. Maybe you're giving them one-word answers. Maybe you're trying to respond you know, with a written note as opposed to an interview. As a journalist, the natural thing for me to think is, what are you hiding? Like, what what have you done wrong? What is it that you don't want me? And so now my journalistic instincts are kicking into, like, full like, you know, fourth gear. And now I'm being more aggressive and maybe I'm showing up at your place. Maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Maybe you have nothing to hide, but it's because of your demeanor. So it's this, it's almost this like vicious circle where you think they're out to get you, you act like they're out to get you and they think you're hiding something. And so I think there's really something to that. And a lot of times when you just lay your cards out on the table and let them know what's up and you're honest and transparent, like the only answer for them is okay, I guess, thanks. And they move along to the next crisis. Cause there's, especially now there's always another one. So I think that's the, the piece that a lot of uh, executives and leaders don't get is that they think by holding their cards close to their chest and by being defensive and, and sort of just all hunkering down, they think they're actually protecting themselves. And I think it's in many cases, the exact opposite. The other thing I think they do is they, they forget that doing nothing is actually a, strategic choice that has this, it has uh, consequences too right when you when you think of all the options you could pursue when you're faced with that kind of inquiry doing doing nothing may seem oh it's it's the least risky thing and we we better not do anything and we we'll just let that let them do their thing but actually um it does have consequences it does have impacts it just it may not be as immediately evident as whatever appears in the paper the next day, but it's, it's not a riskless choice. It's, I think that's, that's a fallacy people forget. Well, when, what do we, you know, what do we think about it? And I'm sure the same thing for the general public, you're reading the story, you see the headline, Oh my God, this is what happened. And at the bottom, the company did not respond to requests. It's like, mm. it just, it just, you know, the reputation lever goes to, goes down a couple notches and for them not to have the, the fortitude or the balls or whatever to, to, to call the journalist back and have an interaction with, with them is it just, it doesn't look good. It's not a good look. And uh, in many cases, you know, I've told people in some cases you go through the emotions, you do the interview and nothing happens. Like it doesn't end up being a story when, because the journalist realizes 
oh, there's nothing, there's nothing really to see here. It's all under control. They go back to their editor and the story kind of goes away. And people are often surprised by that, that actually doing the interview and giving them a little bit of background can actually be a way to make the story go away. It doesn't happen all the time, but it can certainly be a pleasant outcome sometimes. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, anything else uh, about that? I think we've kind of battered that one around. Yeah, pretty I think that was well. a good discussion. Anything else from a from a communication standpoint you want to hit on, or are we kind of like wrapping her up for today? You know what? I, I we're I'd say we're uh, it's a good good place to wrap things up. We're still waiting here for what's going the next shoe to drop <laughs> on the. They pushed it back again. It was supposed to be three thirty now. Four o'clock to four. Though that time doesn't mean anything to anybody who's listening to this. But well, I've, I I have a friend uh, who who works in the minister's office at the uh, ministry of health. I can only imagine what they're going through all these days. It, um, and it's, uh, hard to believe, uh, you know, I saw, and, and, you know, who knows what, 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 what to believe these days, but I saw a tweet just before we got on here saying that, uh, it was from, it was from a doctor, I think at Michael Guerin hospital saying, you know, here we are in this. And I apologize to anybody who's not in Ontario right now, because it's like, you know, we have listeners from all over the place, but like, this is, uh, this is kind of what we know. And it's, I guess it's sort of interesting given that we're dealing with this situation right now, but someone said we're going through, or we're, we're getting ready to go through the same thing. Italy and New York were going through a year ago. You remember how mm-hmm. awful that was? And they said, except we had a year's notice. And that really, that really, uh, that really hit home, you know, like, that it was bad enough when they had to do it, but it was fresh. It was new. It was like everyone was discovering it at the same time. This we've had a year for this and we're in just this much of uh, trouble right now. It's, it's hard to believe. I know. I know. Uh, well, knock on wood. Let's hopefully it's, it's people bring things together. And um, I, I just worry though, that oftentimes the things that um, the measures that, um, that people think are going to be the most effective are the ones that seem most spectacular, like not to get into the details here, but closing down schools when maybe some more, you know, less, less uh, interesting things like putting more buses on those bus routes that involve uh, where, where, where uh, critical workers need to travel uh, so they can distance themselves better are actually uh, going to be more effective and it's, it's because there's so much politics involved in, in, in all these things. And there's public health sort of um, political leaders, you know, trying to wrestle through this uh, with different objectives. Obviously, they all have the same objective to resolve things, but um, different priorities, perhaps. Then um, it, you, you sometimes don't get don't, everything that's announced isn't always the, maybe the right thing. But who knows? Right. That's just my that's of, just uh, my armchair quarterback who knows nothing perspective. Oh, you're ba- you're bang bang on. Uh, you know you know the halls of uh, of government better than most. And there's a lot of house of cards kind of stuff going on behind the scenes and finger pointing and uh, people positioning with the elections coming up. There's a lot of that coming on, which is very distasteful too. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And hey, <clears throat> we're in a, we're in a when you're in a situation like this, um, I think it seems pretty desperate uh, from the, from the way people are acting and uh, there's going to be scapegoating for sure. I was going to ask you what you're doing for the weekend, but of course, as it has been for the last year, the answer is nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. You know what, you know what the tragedy this is, is I think this is actually putting, putting the, the uh, pulling the curtain over the the summer that I thought may actually be getting back to normal. I think it's going to be another summer of, of doing nothing. All right. Anyway, great episode. Great to chat with you. Have a wonderful weekend and uh, we'll do it again. Excellent. And only good news next week. Only good news. All right. Thanks Warren. (laughs) Take care. Thanks for stopping by. If you liked this episode, please rate, review or recommend the show. See you next time.